I'm not exactly sure who came up with this chocolate bar invitation approach. I think it was Darcy. I suppose it's effective, you know, as far as inviting people. It's driving me crazy because all over all of our campuses, I'm seeing these dark chocolate bars. I love dark chocolate. And it has been made very clear to me that I am not allowed to even so much as take a bite of any of them. They are not for us. They are for those outside of our church to be invited. And so I just can't wait for it to end because I'm dying. I'm like, oh, chocolate. Give them away quickly, would you? Help me out. All right. Hey, uh, we are in our very last week of this series called Mighty Men. And if you're new, let me just give you a little review. We have been studying this overlooked chapter in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 23, which describes these heroes of old, these soldiers of God who the Lord decided, hey, we got to get their story in the book. God decided that these friends of David need to have their great ventures recorded so that we could be inspired by their example, so that we could follow their example, so that we could become heroes devoted to serving the Lord and his cause. And week one, we had a message entitled, Their Devotion, and we learned about how committed these guys were to the cause of God. And then we too, we looked at their power and we discovered that they didn't have power in and of themselves, but rather the Lord's power met their ordinariness and accomplished great things. And we discovered that similarly, God's spirit fills Christians and that we have been given a spiritual gift, an enabling, an ability that is God working through us, enabling us to serve him with greater effect than we'd ever be able to on our own. Week three was their team, and we discovered that they served in the context of a loving community, and that we too are invited to serve not alone, but with brothers and sisters in Christ, and that sweet friendships can develop, friendships of another kind. The team is beautiful. And then last week, we looked at their worship. And we discovered that everything we do in service to God, when we feel the Lord calling, whether it be at church or at home or in our neighborhood or at work, when we feel God calling or nudging and we say, Lord, I'm your servant, I will obey, that that service of God is in fact worship to God. Remember David took the water that his friends had gotten from his favorite well at the risk of their lives? And David saw the water, which represented their service, and he poured it out before God as a drink offering of worship. And God was pleased. A smile was on the face of God. And a smile is on the face of God every time you, in obedience, serve him. And that brings us to this last week. Week five, their reward. How does God reward heroic, selfless faithful servants? Well, we're going to find out. I don't know what you uh, think about the topic of rewards. I want to bring up that topic by telling you of an old story in my life that dates back to when I was in elementary school. Uh, My folks had this season where every Sunday after church, they would take us out to lunch at Long John Silver's. 
you know, if you're a big Long John Silver's fan, you'll have to forgive me because I am not and I really was not. You know, any place that didn't offer french fries and hamburgers was not of interest to me. And I hated going to Long John Silver's. I'm like, no, seafood, no. And uh, the only thing that saved my experience back in those days was these little silver tokens that they offered all kids. I actually have a picture of the tokens, Long John Silver's treasure chest tokens. And then they had what was like a gumball machine treasure chest. Some of you may recall this. And we would get a little prize, these worthless little prizes. But as a kid, we got so excited about them. It's like, there are no fries and no hamburgers, but I got a token. And, you know, it was almost like, gambling, you know, I would, you know, and I would wish well, and here goes nothing, you know, and crank that baby, and then inevitably, you know, I'd like, really? Is that all I got? And on one particular day, I'll remember it well, I was disappointed with my prize, and I'm like, ah, doggone it, you know, I was hoping for more, and as I left Long John Silver's that day, disappointed with my prize, I noticed that a child who had gone before me had dumped their prize on the parking lot next to our car. It was a little ring. And I thought, well, two bad prizes is better than one, you know. And so I picked it up and I said, now I've got two. And I put it in my pocket. And as we were driving home, I took it out, I looked at it and I go, you know, the plastic here is a little heavier than most. In fact, maybe it's not plastic at all. And I showed my mom and she's looking at it. Gary, you got to see this ring. You know, we stopped. My dad looked at it. And my parents announced to me, Jeff, this is a gold, this is a diamond ring. And the diamond was huge on this thing. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm like, give me, give me that back. And I, 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 I was young, but I understood pawn shops. And I understood that I could fetch some serious dough for this ring. And I started heart racing, all excited about what I was going to buy with the money I got from this. And my dad cut short my celebration. And he said, son, let me teach you a thing about ethics. He says, the right thing to do is we're going to go back to Long John Silver's and we're going to give our name and number in case someone comes looking for that. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's necessary. He He insisted. And I'll confess, I was praying that no one would call. Wouldn't you know, that night, that Sunday night, someone frantic calls us and says, we lost our diamond ring. They shared their name. Turns out we knew them. They were from our church. We had seen them at Long John Silver's that lunch, wouldn't you know? And we set up the next day a time where they were going to come to our house to receive the ring. And I was just devastated. Until another thought crossed my mind. I said, Dad, when precious young children do the right thing and when they sacrifice what they've found and save the day, don't they sometimes get a reward? And my dad said, sometimes, Jeff, don't count on it, you know. And I'm like, Dad, it seemed like a big diamond. He's like, that was a very big diamond. Are they wealthy, Dad? You know them. And my dad's like, 
yeah, they're wealthy. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, now let's talk. Pops, help me understand rewards. You know, are they like a dollar because I'm a kid or is it like 20 because it's an expensive ring or third? I mean, what we're talking, dad? My dad's like, Jeff, stop it. I can remember him saying, you're getting too excited. You don't know what's going to happen, you know. Well, they came, you know, and I, you know, did my very best to give those puppy dog eyes. And what do you think I got as a reward? Zero, not a, I got a hug. They, they said, they said, Jeff, you'll never know how grateful we are. I'm like, you're right. I'll never know unless you show me, you know, nothing, nothing. That was my first experience thinking a lot about this concept of rewards, of processing it. Maybe you're not a reward person. Maybe you're like, yeah, you got what you deserve, Jeff. You didn't deserve a buck. You do what's right, and you don't expect rewards. Interestingly, that's not biblical. What we're about to discover is that the concept of reward is very central in the Word of God that God has promised and committed to reward, in the end, when Christ returns, to reward his children for the selfless, faithful service they have done. I'll read. There are 75 verses in Scripture that speak about rewards and about the final rewards that the Lord will bring. I'll read just one of them. Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus speaking of his second coming. He says, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me. The return of Christ is at hand. It will be sooner than we think. And with the coming of Jesus is the coming of his reward. Now part of what makes us uneasy about this topic of reward is that we know our salvation is by grace. And so I want to be real clear on this matter so that we don't get confused. When I refer to our salvation... Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm referring to our reconciliation with God and our promise of eternity in heaven. The Bible is crystal clear that that reconciliation and that eternal home is a gift that we don't deserve. It's called grace. You know, a, a reward is something that's deserved. A grace is something that's not deserved. And the Bible's clear that our salvation, our home in heaven, is the result of us simply crying out to God in faith, saying, help. I recognize I am a sinner. I recognize I've messed up. And I'm saying, Jesus, would you be my Savior? Would you take what you did on the cross, dying for me, and apply it to my life? And in that moment, we get a gift of forgiveness and reconciliation and the promise of heaven. Now, that's not a reward. I want to be real clear on that. But... The Bible says those who are Christians by grace will be rewarded in heaven for their faithful service to God. And that's what we're here to study. And again, we're learning from David's mighty men, particularly one by the name of Beniah. And so let's turn to 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. It says this of Beniah. Benaiah struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. What strikes you about that verse? Maybe the context of the mighty man description 
makes it relatively ironic that two is being celebrated. He struck down how many? Two. Now they were really mighty, but they were still two. And the reason that that's rather surprising is that so far in the study of David's mighty men, we've looked at three individuals, and then we looked at a uh, group of three that got David his drinking water and brought it back. Those first three individuals, though, they each struck down hundreds of the enemy. One of them struck down 800 of the enemy. And so in the context of warriors that struck down hundreds, we come to a guy who struck down two, and there's a side of us that wants to say, Lord, really, two? You're going to put that in the book? God says, I saw it. I thought it was awesome. And God says, I choose what goes in the book. We're going to record Benaiah striking down the two mighty Moabites. Maybe as we go through this, you're going to see that I'm not so much interested in Benaiah. I'm interested in what the record, record of Benaiah says about God. God noticed the two. God was impressed with the two. God recorded the two. Let's go to the next part of this verse. Second part of verse 20 says this. Benaiah also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That's unexpected. Well, I did some reading with the commentators, and most of them say that the most likely scenario here is that this pit was a trap, that the lion had been uh, scaring the town people that had, had entered too close to this village, and the people were in danger, and so they had built a pit. You know how they do it? They dig a deep pit, they put grass and sticks over it, and they put a big bait, big piece of raw meat, and it had worked, and the lion was down now in the pit. Once you catch a wild beast, then you have this moment where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do with it now that we got it? And here they have this ferocious lion in a pit, and they kind of look around, and they say, somebody's got to go down there and kill it. And Benaiah, this is really not military warfare. This is like public service. This is pest control, one may say. And uh, Benaiah says, I'll go kill the lion. This really impresses me. I have an unusual fear of animals. I don't, didn't grow up with pets. And so as a result, they all terrify me. You know, mean-looking butterfly. And I'm, uh, well... I know what it's like to catch a wild beast and then decide, now what am I going to do with it? We had raccoons plaguing our shed, and I sprung a trap on a snowy day. Here's a picture. And I caught this raccoon. And at first I was so proud as I watched from a distance this raccoon in a cage. And then I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do with it? You know, I'm like, darling, talk to my wife. Hey, would you mind driving this raccoon to a forest preserve and letting it go? She's like, you're kidding me, right? You're the husband. Man up, you know, and take care of it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now, you, I had heard the reputation of raccoons. They can be fierce. Some would say more dangerous than a lion, and I would agree with that assessment. I mean, they are terrifying beasts. And I had to, I drove like half an hour to this forest preserve, and then I had to open the cage And in opening the spring door, the raccoon was going to pass by my hand, providing a moment of great vulnerability and potential loss of fingers. And I was freaking out. My heart, (laughs) 
You said, Jeff, please tell me your heart was not racing. My heart was beating out of my chest as I'm, you know, and I had a stick in my hand, the other hand, ready to wage war with this beast. And I had this thick leather glove on, you know, and and he walks out. Walks into the woods. It was a non-event, but... Nonetheless, the fear that I felt in that moment, I can only imagine, was throughout all the people when they said, who's going to go get the lion? And I'm impressed. And so was God. And you say, really, the Lord, do you want to put pest control in the Bible? And the Lord says, yeah, I want it in the book because that was awesome. Let's go to the next one. Uh, the next verse Verse 21 says of Benaiah, he struck down a huge Egyptian. And although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with just a club. Benaiah snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. And again, uh, the editors of the Bible may argue with the Lord saying, really God, he killed one albeit huge, but one Egyptian, and you want that in the book? And God's like, did you see that? He didn't even have a spear. He swiped the old man's spear and killed him with his own weapon. God says, it's going in the book. And what I find ironic about the exploits of Benaiah is that compared to all the others, they're small. But though compared to others, they are small, God saw them. God was impressed by them, and God recognized them in Scripture. The principle I want to point to is one of recognition. God is committed to recognizing the faithful uh, acts of service to him. Do you know that? The Lord longs to proclaim and share publicly what his servants do for him. Now you say, well, I see that with Benaiah, but the Lord's not proclaiming any of my faithful service. Not yet, but he will. The Bible says that God is going to, when we arrive in heaven, proclaim, listen to me, every single, an exclusive, uh, exhaustive list where God says, every single thing you have done in my name will be shared and celebrated publicly. And you're like, wait, that doesn't sound like God. God's all about privacy. God says, do your acts of righteousness in secret so that no one knows. And now you're saying God's going to go public. There's a tension here. Let me help you resolve it. The, the six, I'm sorry, three times in Matthew 6, the Lord says, do your deeds of righteousness in private. But let me read a verse from Matthew 6. Verse 4. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this is a reference to God recognizing and rewarding in heaven all that's been done. So here's the awkward tension. We are to do it in secret. He is to reward it publicly. You see, it's very different. If you acknowledge what you do, that's arrogance and pride. If God chooses to acknowledge what you've done, that is his prerogative and an expression of his heart. And so as guarded as we should be about remaining humble and not proclaiming 
your deeds of righteousness, I will tell you, in heaven, they will be revealed and celebrated publicly. God will recognize everything done. The actual event in heaven is called the Bema. Maybe you've heard of that before. Other, there's many scriptures that deal with the Bema. Sometimes it's called the great judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes it's called the judgment seat of God. You can find in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4, Romans 14, 2 Corinthians 5, Matthew 16. Many passages that talk about this event. Judgment seat of Christ. Here's the confusing part of it. The word judgment seat sounds like it's that great final judgment when Christians are separated from non-Christians, when those who have trusted Christ are separated. The sheep and the goats deal. No, no. That's a different event. That one is called the great white throne judgment. The Bema event is a second sub uh, after uh, the, the first one. And uh, it's so important that we separate the two. The Bema event is for Christians only, where God's children will be rewarded for their faithful service. In fact, the term Bema means platform. And it's the term that was used in the first century for the ancient Olympic award ceremony. The judge at the Olympics would stand on the platform. He'd stand on the Bema and in the end, he would invite the victors to stand on the stage where they were awarded a crown. That's, they didn't have the gold, silver, and metal medals as we do. They would have a laurel crown that they would place on the victor's head. And so this event called the Bema in heaven, again, I read the, some of the references. It's so clearly described. It will be an awards ceremony where God is not going to award us in general, but God will reward us specifically for each, the Bible says, everything we've done. Here, here's one of the Bema references. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. This is about the coming of Christ, the end of time. Wait until the Lord comes. There's the return of Christ. He will bring to light what is hidden. All of this secret service will be brought to light. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. It's not just our actions that will be revealed and celebrated, but the purity of our heart will be shown as well. Check this out. At that time, each of us will receive their praise from God. God will give praise or honor to each of us. The Lord, and exactly what this will be like, do they play it back on the screen? I don't know. You know, we'll see when we get there. But there's an event called the Bema Seat Judgment. God presides as the judge. He invites each of us to the stage, and we will, you know, blush as the God, as the Lord recalls and recognizes all of the acts of faithful service we have done. And God will celebrate them, and there will be applause in that place and celebration of the righteous things done. Uh, This is amazing to me because so much goes unnoticed, even in our church. 
There are so many of you that are faithful servants who have done things and no one has seen them. It reminds me, when I was a kid, I, there was an awkward moment, quite honestly, where at the end of the church service, my mom leans over and says, your brother Mark is sick. Would you take him out uh, of the service here into the lobby, wait for us? I'm like, all right. So I take my brother out, and as we're about to leave the doors at the bank, back of the sanctuary, my brother goes, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's going to vomit. And you know, when a kid's going to throw up, their natural instinct is to run to mommy. And so he turns around and starts running back down the aisle, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is not good. And I sprung to heroic action, and I grabbed my brother by the back of the shirt and jerked him back, you know, and I threw him, literally, dragged him and threw him into the lobby where he lost his cookies all over the lobby floor. And I'm like, this is not good. Uh, and this, this old man, I, I'll never forget this, not a staff member, just a congregant, comes up and he says, boys, sit on this bench right here. And he runs to the bathroom and he gets a roll of paper towels. And he got down on his hands and knees and he cleaned up that mess, and it made it look spotless. And I remember as a kid sitting there going, nobody knows what he just did except two punk kids. And I look back at it now, and I say, no, there's one who knows, and that's the Lord. And how much of that event the Lord replays on the video, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but all secret service offered to the Lord, is seen by him, is appreciated by him, and will be recognized by him. Know it to be so. And I take pride or joy in that because I know so many of you, and I feel so bad, you know, I get the pats on the back, thank you, Pastor, and so many of you serve without any of that. The day's coming, and I'm going to be standing on my seat Screaming, hollering, applauding the faithfulness of so many of you. So there's the first thing, recognition. I want to talk about a second reward that God's going to give, and that's promotion. And promotion, like at work, you know, when you get higher levels of responsibility. That was what happened in the case of Benaiah. Let me show you. Here is verse 23. It says, or David, King David, put Benaiah in charge of his bodyguard. Here, Benaiah had just been a, a rank-and-file soldier, and he hadn't killed that many, but he was faithful and courageous. And the Lord saw it, and the Lord prompted David to give this guy a raise, to put him in charge of the bodyguard. But it didn't stop there. Other verses tell us that later in Benaiah's life, he was promoted to being captain of a division of the army, a massive division. He was over 24,000 soldiers. But it didn't end there. Later on in Benaiah's life, uh, Joab, who had been the commander-in-chief of the entire Israelite army, died. And who do you think was raised to fill that role? Benaiah. And he became the number one guy over the entire Israelite army. Is God behind the promotion of Benaiah? And I believe so, because this eagerness to promote the faithful servant is at the heart of our God. In fact, sometimes it happens in planet Earth, like Benaiah's case, but it is promised to happen to every one of us in heaven. In heaven, 
Faithful service will be rewarded with promotion. Positions of authority. This is maybe a surprise to you, but Scripture says that in heaven we will rule with the Lord. We we will uh, be given authority, the Bible says. We will sit with Christ on his throne. Uh, And exactly what this looks like, you say, well, who are we leading? I don't know exactly. The Bible does talk about we being entrusted with authority over humans and angels. The exact form that this takes place, I'm not sure, but you must know that God will reward us with position of leadership and authority when we get to heaven. You know, many verses that talk about it, I will share one. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus teaching about the end of time through a parable. And this is a parable that is a picture of what it will be like when we appear before God. Matthew 25, 23, the master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Faithfulness with the few will result in the end with being put in charge. And Maybe you're like, I don't want to be in charge. <laughs> maybe you're like, leadership has no appeal to me. That may be so, but things will change because you will find great joy in it then. The Lord's going to tweak, change your personality, and, and you will find great... Look at the phrase. It says, come and share in your master's happiness. You will find great happiness in being put in charge. And it will be an incredible delight to you. This is strange. You know, some people think of heaven as they're just going to sit around and play harps and bounce on clouds. I think that's kind of it. No. Heaven is a world with meaningful assignment and responsibility where God's kingdom will continue to advance and we will be entrusted with great responsibility and leadership position. And just to give you a heads up, some of you may assume, well, I bet you, Jeff, being a pastor, will be given a high position in heaven. Uh, Maybe not. The Bible warns us to anticipate an unexpected reversal where the last will be first and the first will be last and where some of the humble servants who on earth did all of their serving in the shadows, they will be lifted to the most exalted positions of responsibility. God will make it so. Folks, uh, I hope you are living in light of the end. I hope that this teaching of scripture of the Bema event where all of the faithful service on this world will be recognized and will we will be rewarded with much one of the rewards will be positions of great authority. May no one at the Compass Church be surprised by that dynamic and that event in the end. May we live today so that we have no regrets then. You know, I was just invited this week to present awards at our Awana Awards ceremony. Actually, my wife and I were both invited to hand out trophies, which we said, yes, we can't wait. Uh, Maybe you've not been to an Awana uh, closing ceremony. I will describe it to you. This room is packed with people, and the kids who have accomplished great things are brought on stage. Here are some 
trophies that Jen and I will be handing out on that day. And the applause is immense and the celebration is grand. You know what happens at that awards ceremony? It's always fun to see the surprise on the face of the new kids. A lot of times when new kids join Awana, you know, they're excited to be part of the club. They like the games, but they don't memorize the verses which are necessary to win the prizes. And sometimes the new kid will go, oh, I don't care about that stuff. I'm just here for the fun. And then they come to the award ceremony and they're blown away. They never knew this was going to happen or at least that it was going to be like this. And they're like in awe and they realize that the faithful devotion to the program matters. And when they're at all like this, they change their heart. They, they come back the second year with a holy ambition. I'm going to get one of those prizes. And they throw themselves into it. My fear is that some of us are going to arrive at the award ceremony. There's only one in heaven. You know, you can't learn from the first one and then get it right for the second. There's only one Bema celebration. Now, we're told about it in Scripture, so let's learn there. Because to arrive at that event and go, you know, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm here, and you're right, that is the main deal. But for you then to look back on your life and realize that you largely wasted it, living for yourself, and it become crystal clear at that moment, I don't want us to have regret. I don't want us going, man, I look back now and I realize I missed the point. No! Live today in light of the end. And that ceremony is coming. And let's take our one life and pour it out, not on ourselves, but on him who died for us so that on that day, he can be smiling and we can say, Lord, I'm glad I gave my one life to you. Amen? Now, on that day, are you going to be like getting your award in heaven and be going like, yeah, me, you know, no. We will not be arrogant, and we will not be impressed with ourselves. All of our focus, as the Lord wants to celebrate us, we're going to want to celebrate him. That's the love dynamic we'll have with God. And our focus on that day will be, let's, let, me, let me just worship you, Lord. Thank you. I'm honored. But my passion is to worship you. And so we're going to close this service by anticipating that day when Christ returns, and we will worship him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we bow right now, and we recognize that that day's coming as certain as the Awana award ceremony is scheduled. So the grand Bema event is in your calendar book. It's not fairy tale, it's fact. We're all heading towards it. God, please. Help us live not as a fool, but as wise men and women, faithful servants of yours. Please, lead us. We'll say yes. Lead us at church to serve you. We'll say yes. Lead us at home to serve you. We'll say yes. Lead us at work in the neighborhood to be your servants. We'll say yes. Take our lives. We want to worship you with song and with service. Jesus' name, amen.